opportunity to do what we know when we come in God's presence and when we come to receive from him, we don't come empty-handed. Say amen, children of God. Heard this statement the other day and it really rung in my mind and my heart because there's so many people out there that say, you know, all kinds of things about the giving. Let me tell you something. I have learned in my life, this is one of the most important parts of my walk with God. Okay, I didn't even get an uh-huh, so I'm going to say it one more time. I have learned that in the giving, I've learned that in giving, that is the one of the very most important parts of my walk with God. I don't want to come into his house empty-handed. I want to, if I'm going to receive anything, I want to make sure he knows I'm bringing an offering. I'm bringing something to give back to his kingdom, back to his work. I'll remind you how I remind you a lot around here. You are not giving to a church. You're not even giving to a preacher. What you're giving to is God's kingdom. And that's an investment that pays off. When you and I trust him with everything, including our treasure, I'm telling you that's when he has you head to foot. And that's when things begin to unfold in your life and you begin to see. It's not your works. It's not the works of giving. As a matter of fact, giving is for believers only. Did you know that? We welcome anyone to make a donation. But giving is for believers. And when you understand what you're doing, when you give God your offering, your gift in the heavens, it connects you, it links you together with his divine plan for his people. And you're part of it. Wherever they go, they'll be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama Sunday. When they go in there, they get to go with me. I'm going to go with them. You say, well, who's going to preach at Stratford Heights? I am. But I'm going to get to go with them because I've brought an offering. I'm going to bless the ministry. And as I bless the ministry, I get to be a part of that. Isn't that good? Somebody ought to say amen. That's a good thing. When we understand that priority and how that works in the kingdom, boy, it turns us it, it lights our fire. I can't wait to be a part. So we're going to pray. We're going to give ourselves in this service that wonderful, beautiful peace that comes with honoring and obeying God. And as we do that tonight, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. Say amen. Father, we come to you. We desire in our hearts to bless our guests we pray the Lord that through our gifts we'll be able to be a part of the people that they will touch and minister not only this weekend coming, but Lord, the months and the years ahead. We pray, Lord, that this gift tonight will be a part of the kingdom's work and the ministry you've called them to. And that, Lord, wherever they land, wherever they place their foot, God, we're with them in the spiritual realm. We thank you for that opportunity tonight. We thank you for this honor. And now we bless you with our gifts because, God, it's in giving to you that we're a part. 
So we honor you tonight and we bless your name as we give in thanksgiving to all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
It's all about Jesus. I said it's all about Jesus. When it becomes about you, he gets left out. He shares his glory with no one. He shares his throne with no one. He is Jesus. There's none above him. There's none beneath him. There's none beside him. There's none around him. He is who? Because he's Lord of all. And there's coming a day very, very soon that every knee is going to bow. I, I, I can't wait. Can you? Because I want to be there to see Saddam Hussein bow. I want to be there to see Osama, whatever, Ben, Ben, whatever, Laden, bow. I want to see all of those who are persecuting Christians today bow. Well, did the quiet crowd show up tonight? Everybody got a good voice? Wave at me. Say amen. Say it again. Good. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Good to see you tonight. Thanks again for your giving. As he told you, I'll be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Sunday. The next Sunday, I will be in Ocala, Florida, taking care of some things there. On You know, next Sunday's Pentecost Sunday. Do I have any Pentecostals in the house? Do I have any Pentecostals who are alive in the house? We are Pentecostal. Amen? Look with me. The Lord is talking to Simon Peter. He said, Simon, Simon. Now, Jesus is just like my mama. If she called my name twice, I better listen. Simon, Simon. He's not calling him Peter. He named him Cephas, which is Peter. But now at this moment, he's calling him Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Has anybody in this house ever been sifted? I don't like it, but you need it. Amen. If you don't sift your flour when you're making those biscuits, you're going to have some things in it you don't want there. Amen. He said he desires to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for Pay attention to this phrase. I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. He didn't say I'm praying for you that you don't fall. He said I'm praying that when it happens, your faith doesn't fall. Wow. Sometimes when in our life we do things make mistakes, sins, things happen. We let that affect our faith. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. Don't let your faith fail. It is your faith that motivates you to be who you are and live like you should. And somebody said amen. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail 
you not. Now read it. Look at the rest of it. And when you are converted. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but if the Lord is going to prophesy that I'm going to blow it, I like this phrase that says, when you're converted. What is that saying? That said, I know you're going to blow it. I know you're going to do it. I know it's going to happen to you. I know it's already there, but when you turn around, I'm glad I serve a God who believes in me and I can still turn around. It's going to be a little different tonight. I want to teach you some things. Is that okay? We'll probably do a lot of Joan Rivers tonight, all right? I don't know, but I feel like I need to help somebody in this house. The Lord led me to this. In fact, this one is hot off the press again. So we're going to see how it comes out, okay? When you begin to look at this, I want you to notice something. Peter was the one of the disciples that Jesus singled out when he met him and said, I'm not going to call you by uh, Simon, but I'm going to call you Cephas, which being interpreted as rock. I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to name you something that I believe is an ingredient in your life. I am going to name you something that identifies who you are. Stay with me. Stay with me. I'm going to call you something that gives you an identity that when people call your name, they will know that's who you are. Everybody still with me? You go to the Old Testament, there's a young man in there by the name of Mephibosheth. And the, the young man named Mephibosheth, his name means shame. So every time somebody called his name, it meant shame. The enemy wants you to live under shame. The enemy wants to press you down to the point that because of what you've done, what has happened, what you've said, how you've acted, that you are no longer going by the name child of God. Is anybody still in the family? He said, I'm going to call you Peter. And Jesus knew when he called him that, they called him a rock, that he is a rock, but he was also a man in Scripture who had the greatest hoof and mouth disease I've ever seen. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. Amen? You know why? He always spoke up. Quiet people never do that. Anybody here ever put your foot in your mouth? Yeah, the rest of you need to raise your hand too. We've all done it. You said something, boy, I'd like to take that back, but it's too late. I, I wish I hadn't have said it that way. I've been misunderstood. Peter was good at that. And all through his life as a disciple, we would see these things happening to him. Let me tell you something. There's sometimes in your life that the Lord has to demolish something to be able to resurrect in you what he promised. You're not getting it tonight. I'm about to find me another crowd. He has to take something in your life away so he can give you what he has for you because what you have is not what he wants you to have, so he has to demolish it to resurrect his vision in your life. 
you get it then? Y'all keep me repeating, we'll be here all night. You have to understand sifting is not always a bad thing. Some of the best biscuits I've ever had in my life were sifted. Amen. Some of the best cake I've ever sunk my teeth into were sifted because you prepare it because you know what is coming. But sifting just simply means now, many of you may look at it different. Sifting is when you take this silver container that looks like a big cup that's got a handle on the side of it and it's got a little wire thing you're turning and it's got a screen beneath it and you do it. My, am I getting to where you are? Listen. When you do that, there's those little, they look like little grains or whatever it is that are left that cannot go in there. There has to be a sifting for God to get you where he's taking you. I know this isn't an easy one to preach, but don't kick against the pricks. God is preparing you for what you ask for you're just not ready to be birthed into the vision yet. Woo! This, this, I want to be sure I get this into you because I'm going to take my time. He's, he did not pray for Peter's morality. He prayed for his mentality. Woo, I got you there, didn't I? He did not pray that he wouldn't blow it because right after that he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster ever crows. He prophesied you're going to fall. You're going to backslide. He cursed. He swore. He did all of those things. But again, he knew what he was telling him. He said, I, am, I know this is going to happen to you, but I'm praying for your mentality. Hello? I told you before, the battleground is up here. It's not out there. I have people say, let's pull down strongholds. I said, then get a hold of your brain. Your strongholds are in here, not out there. Your stronghold's not that person you don't like. The stronghold's in here. The stronghold is not some object. The stronghold is how you're perceiving life. Our perception gets out of whack. You ever met somebody and you sized them up before you ever talked to them? And when you did, you found out you was wrong? Perception to a lot of people is truth. All right, we'll do a little Joan Rivers here and talk. Perception hinders a church more than anything else. Because people perceive that one thing is the way that it is, and it's not. And perception becomes truth. Amen? Boy, y'all are so quiet, I'm going to have to preach till midnight. I'm trying to put something in you about sifting. He said, Peter, Satan wants to sift you. He said, I'm not praying that you won't be shattered. I'm not praying that, that it won't happen to you. But he said, I'm praying that in the middle of your mess, you will stand firm and you will not stay where you are. It's not how many times you fall. It's how many times you get up. This makes sure if you fall 10 times, please get up 11. 
Don't stay down. Once you get knocked down, get back up. Once you fail, turn around. Once it happens, don't stay there. The famous boxer years ago, Joe Lewis, they were interviewing them. And they said to him, how do you keep doing it? I like what he said. He said, I'll fight one more round. Say it. Say, fight one more round. Say it again. Fight one more round. I don't know about you, but doubt about the, I believe the Lord's about to ring the bell for the final round. Fight one more round. I don't want to be laying on the mat when he comes. I want to be standing up. I may be bloody. I may be bludgeoned. I may be beaten. I may look awful. But I want to tell you, I'm not going to stay on that mat. I'm going to get up and fight one more round. Well, I told you I was going to take it easy. It didn't work, did it? He said, Satan desires to sift you. But in the middle of your mess... Stand flat-footed and say, as Job said, though he slay me. <laughs> say slay. Hear what that says. Job said, I don't have anything anymore. All my kids are gone. All my cattle's gone. All my finances are gone. All my friends are gone, and my wife just told me to curse God and die. I'm in bad shape, but Lord, if you kill me, I'm still going to go on. If you push me in the ground, there, there's nothing left but a little speck of dust. He said, it doesn't matter because I'm going to stand on that last day with you. Folks, we can't lose. Keep fighting. Keep going. Keep punching. Keep moving. Woo. Look at this. When he says to him, look at, look at, look at Peter. I told you, Peter, his name is rock. The name Simon means to hear. That's, that doesn't go together. That's an oxymoron. A rock can't hear. Now, I know we went through an era some time back where people had pet rocks. But I don't believe they were talking to them. Well, there might have been some. It's a little shaky. All right. I know, you say, I talk to my dog. Does it say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir? No. It wags his tail and says, give me something to eat. You know why a dog's man's best friend? He wags his tail instead of his tongue. Listen. If you become a person who is renamed Rock, you got a lot to live up to. Years ago, there was a baseball pitcher. Anybody know about baseball? There's a baseball pitcher. He was pitching for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I know that doesn't mean anything to you because he was pitching for the Dodgers, okay? And when he came in to pitch, that's the best amen I mean. I'm going to talk more about baseball. I'll get your pastor with a victory before we get through. As a pitcher came in, he was a very timid guy, and he was not very aggressive. A man by the name of Lasorda. You might have heard of Lasorda. Of course you have. He went to him and was trying to get him to be more aggressive. And what he did to him, he changed his name and gave him a nickname, 
bulldog. And he was far from it. But every time he talked to him, he called him bulldog. Bulldogs, your time to pitch. Bulldog, go take the mound. Bulldog, and he kept pushing it. This man became known as one of the greatest pitchers that's ever been. His name is Oral Heischer. High, whatever, Heischer, okay? And he was one of the greatest pitchers for the Dodgers. He was known for his determination like a rock. Hello. See, don't listen to what people call you. We spend too much time worried about what they say. Okay, here, I'm going to come down here. I'll get back up there and finish all these notes, okay? I have a hard time with notes. Quit worrying about what they say. Have you ever met them? No, you don't. I pastored for 28 years, and they say, they say, they say. You know what? I opened my office door, and they never showed up. I said, give them my phone number. They never called. You know why? Because they are not they. They are something. Hello. Listen, you are who God calls you. You are. You're a child of God baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. Woo! Do you realize what is within you is greater than any force upon this earth and that at one flick of his finger, the Lord could destroy everything we see right now? All he's got to do is shake his little finger. He's that powerful, and that same God lives inside of you, and that same God that lives inside of you. Quit letting the world intimidate you. Quit letting the world push you aside. Quit letting the world. Let me tell you something. Rise up and be who God's called you to be. Uh, if I hurt your feelings, come to me afterward and I'll forgive you. Listen, the greatest promotion of an agenda in our world today is the gay agenda by one less than 1% of our population. Why is that happening? What's going on? Because they are not afraid to speak out. Well, I killed it again. Is everybody still okay? They are not afraid to stand up. They don't care what you think. Hello. You know what? If I pastored again, when they had a gay parade, I'd have a Jesus parade. Same time. Folks, we got to face facts. It's not your gender it's not what you call gay or lesbian or homosexual. It's whether it's against the word of God. It's not what people think. It's not a law you can pass. You can't legislate morality. I don't care what they do. If Jesus speaks it and God speaks it and the word says it, then you better. Let me tell you something. A homosexual sin is just as bad as an adultery sin. Say, oh, and they can be delivered as much as an adulterer. Come on. We're just talking. We're just talking. I told you it was going to be a little bit different. I didn't know I was going to do this, so you better pray. Hear me. When Jesus bent and wrote in the sand about the adulterous woman, now, what happens? Here's my question. 
Here are the men standing there with rocks. Where's the man that went to bed with them? Hello? They were about to stone her to death. I don't know what he wrote in the sand. I hope he wrote their names and addresses and what they had done. I don't know. I don't know what he did, but where's what I know? I know he told her, go and sin no more. He did not say it's all right to commit adultery. Woo, that's good preaching. Listen, he said, go and don't do it again. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. If somebody comes around and says, well, I'm homosexual or I'm gay, the sin is involved is when they follow through with it. Take this coat off. We need the church to rise and have an identity. I've traveled to well over 100, 150 churches. I find a lot of churches, they don't know who they are. All they know is they get together at a certain time on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and whatever else is going on. Who are you? Why are you here? Why is this church right here? Why are you building a new building? Because there's a soul out there that needs Jesus, and the world is dying and going to hell. Get up and get your identity on. Wow. He's called the rock. Jesus is also the, I mean, Peter's also the one that was on a boat. How many has ever heard the story of Peter walking on water? Where do the rest of you go to Sunday school? Y'all not going? Peter asked Jesus, if it was him. Am I right? The disciples, now watch this. We're in a boat. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. And there are storms, they told me at that time, that will blow in that it will create such havoc in the water that there are waves between 15 and 20 feet high. Can you see that? Can you see it? You still with me? But waves don't stay up here. They go up here and they go down here. Anybody ever been on a cruise ship and you're going through a storm? I wanted to get off, but I couldn't. It's doing this. It was just barely rocking. That storm was probably hundreds of miles away, but it was affecting the ocean. Can you imagine being in a storm on the Sea of Galilee and that storm is right there on top of you and the wave gets up here and then the wave gets down here and the wave gets up here and, and all of a sudden they see somebody coming and they look at each other and say, it's a ghost. Don't confuse Jesus with a ghost. Unless it's the Holy Ghost, you're pretty close, okay? It's a ghost. Do you know why they thought it was a ghost? Because they were convinced as fishermen that there are men who have died out at sea, and the men who died at sea, their ghost still hangs around. Sounds like some old wives' tale to me, don't it? But people believe those things. And pretty soon, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, <laughs> tell me to come to you. Jesus preached him a sermon. No, he didn't. He said, C-O-M-E, come. What did he say it? He said it to a man who really wanted to escape a boat that was going down. It's easy to go to Jesus when your ship's sinking. 
Hello? We just think he's riding alone. There's one gospel writer that says that Jesus would have passed them by. Did you hear me? Jesus would have. You know what that tells me? Jesus was in the middle of that storm, waves 20 feet high, winds blowing, everything's going on, and Jesus is out for a walk. That's what it says. He would have passed them by, but he heard them. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. This is the man called Rock who stepped out of a boat that Jesus is talking to tonight saying Satan wants to sift you. Here's a man who had enough faith to walk on water, yet he still needed sifting. Wow. Are you getting this? Look at this. He walked on water. He's the one in Matthew 16 where Jesus said, who do men say that I am? What, what, what's their opinion of me out there? Let's put this in context. He's talking to them. He said, what are they talking about out there? What are they saying? Almost eight years ago, I resigned my church on a Sunday morning. At least two or three people gasped. The rest of them didn't say much, okay? I asked a friend of mine who was then the overseer of Texas. I said, what are they saying about me? He said, they said you lost your mind. I said, would you give them a message for me? Tell them I found it. But you see, we do get concerned of what they're saying out there. Jesus was saying, they're talking about me. They said, oh, you're Elijah. You're one of the prophets. And they went through all of that. Then the rock stands up. The only rock I know that can talk is named the Apostle Peter. And he stood up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, I don't understand it all. I can't explain it theologically. I can't tell you all about it. All I know is I've been with you almost three years, and I am convinced you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Do you hear me? He is the rock, and the rock begins to talk to the massive rock. And Jesus said, upon this rock, not upon Peter, he wasn't talking about, he didn't build the church on Peter. Peter's just a man. The rock that he's building it upon is a confession of faith of a man named Peter, and his name is Petros. And when you look at Petros, it means a small stone. But when Jesus is called the rock, he is called Petra, which is a massive foundational stone. And he said, that's where I'm building my church. And the gates, say gates, say gates. Gates is not something you open. Gates is not just something you walk through. Gates in Scripture is where they made decisions for the city. And Boaz wanted to marry Ruth. Where did he go? To the gate. What did they do at the gate? They made decisions. They were men in authority. He said, let me tell you something. All of those imps of hell who think they have authority will not come against my church. You know what Jesus was saying? My Lord, are you getting this? He said, I am going to stand flat-footed in the face of the devil in his gate in him, where he thinks he has authority and say, stop. You can't do it. I, I drove up here Saturday and every once in a while, I'd see one of those cars with blue lights. Used to think it was Kmart. And Judy would say, I see the car. 
Slow down. Well, I do. I go about two or three miles an hour less. I'm not good at slowing down. Are you? But not too long ago, I was headed to uh, Panama City, Florida. And I would, Mark called me because he was waiting on me. He said, where are you at? And I told him. He said, my goodness, you're making good time. Boy, that made me feel good. A man always wants to beat the time before, don't he? Oh, come on, ladies. And, and I, he called me again. Right, right while I was still in Alabama, then I crossed over into Florida. Man, I was making some time. It was late, probably 11, 12 o'clock late. And I said, oh, this is wonderful. And all of a sudden, there were blue lights. He thought I was speeding. I was. And he told me how much I was. Here's my point. The blue light didn't stop me. He didn't run around, put his hand on my hood and say, stop. All he had to do was flash the lights and show me that he has the authority of the state of Florida. Hello? All Christians, raise your hand. Why don't you get your badge out? Hello? Oh, my. Are y'all all right over here? Y'all still with me over here? There's a man years ago who was an inspector for agriculture, and he was inspecting a man's farm, and he had to go check on his cattle. And he said, you need, I need to go in that fence, farmer, and I need to look at your cattle. He said, you better not. He said, hey, pull out his badge. He said, I am with the Department of Agriculture. I have the right to jump over that fence and go, and he did. A few minutes later, he come running back, and there was a bull right on his trail. The farmer, he said to the farmer, what am I going to do now? He said, show him your badge. Let me tell you something. It's time to show the devil your badge that you're washed in the blood of Jesus. He has no power over you. We come against the gates of hell, which is all the authority in hell, and we have Jesus Christ who has already defeated him and put him under his feet, under his feet, under his feet. Somebody praise him. Glory. The authority. Hey, before I get off of this, I have a badge. I should have brought it with me tonight. I am the police chaplain for the city of Jasper, Alabama. What does that mean? I don't know. I can't stop anybody. I can't arrest anybody. So, but I do have a badge. So if I were to flash it, it'd probably bother you, okay? Flash your badge at the devil and let him know who you are. Amen? See, he said, Satan desires you to sift, to get rid of things. Has anybody ever been sifted more than once? You know why? You still got some junk in you. You got too much junk in your trunk. You got to get it out. You got to shake it out. You've got to shake it and shake it. I've been sifted so many times, I think I am a sifter. You know why? Because I'm not perfect. And sometimes I ask him for something, and he says, the only way I can get it to you is I've got to sift you again. I've got to get out those little things. I've got to take, hello? He's been sifting me for years and years and years and years and years about patience. Guess what? He hadn't been successful yet. I'm still not patient as I should be. I'm the only guy that goes to Walmart and goes to the 20-item line and counts the people's items in front of me. 
And y'all laughing at me because you're in the same boat, aren't you? See, but he keeps sifting me. I'm in a hurry to get up here, Gary. And I get up early Saturday morning, what, 5, 6 o'clock, whatever time we got up. And I hit the road. I said, Paul, here we go. It was wonderful, Brother Ray. When I got to Nashville, Tennessee, Marshalls wasn't even open. I had to keep going. Oh, I better move over here. I'm just going to make her mad here in a minute. She knows I'm kidding. No, I don't know. She's not sure. Oh, Lord. Pray, church, pray. <laughs> and I'm driving along. And guess what again? Y'all don't know anything about this, do you? I was making good time. And all of a sudden, boom. And I thought, oh, no. I thought, got through that one. Took a few minutes. Heading on toward up into Louisville. All of a sudden, here we go again. I saw, what, five wrecks, I believe it was. And I, and I was trying to make, I don't know why I was trying to make good time. I didn't have a time to be here. I just wanted to do it because I don't have the patience I should. Do I have anybody with me? I wish I did. I try, but I have a hard time waiting, and he sifts me. And I even made the statement Saturday, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? <laughs> and he didn't say a word. He said, you know, okay, you know. But here's a man that's going to be sifted. Not me. Oh, he did. You know what he did. He cursed, swore, denied he knew him. And all this happened. Look at the rest of that verse. And when you are converted. Say converted. Every one of you now driving a car unless you've got a real old one that has a converter. Anybody ever heard of a converter? You ever get behind somebody in a car whose converter's bad? All that odor that's up in there comes out. I had a car one time, and that's back when they first started putting converters, okay? And because we're trying to clean up the environment. And a car that I was driving was an older car. But you know what? A converter takes the substance from the engine and changes it into a substance that's acceptable to the environment. Are you still with me? You know where I'm going, don't you? Look at this. You and I need to be converted. We need to be changed from that stuff that we had when we get, hello, when we get sifted. And when it comes out of our mouth, it's different. Kind of reminds me of where I read not long ago to where you, you, uh, where they have wineskins. We don't have anything like that anymore. But they used to have wineskins. When they'd use them for a while, they'd just throw them over. When they threw a wineskin over, it would dry up, and it would become brittle. The first thing they would do to this wineskin to be able to put more wine in it is they would take it and soak it in water. See, sometimes in my life, I just need to soak. Hello, talk to me. Sometimes I just need, as we say in Alabama, soused. You understand that term? Soused means they push you under and they hold you there for a while. And all of a sudden it gets flexible. Then they have a wooden mallet and the man lays it out on a table and he begins to pound out the wrinkles with a wooden mallet. Anybody ever felt like you've been pounded? I said, anybody ever felt like you've been pounded? It's for a reason. He's sifting you. He's getting you converted. So, oh, do you still hear me now? 
and then they take a, a something like a rolling pin and they roll it out flat. And then once they get it flexible again, the last thing they do is they take where the mouth is, cut it off, sew it up, and change the mouth. I've met a lot of people who call themselves Christian who need to change their mouth. Hello? See, he takes that mouth because you can't use the old mouth. Hello? I've had people say, well, that's just who I am. I said, then you need to get delivered to the cusser. If the cusser ain't in there, he don't come out. Woo, I'm preaching good. Somebody help me. I'm still talking about sifting even though I'm on this. You've got to prepare yourself for new wine, and he's got to get it out of you. And then he said again, let me go back to it. When you are changed, when the same thing that goes into you, Peter, that caused you to warm your hands by that fire and swear and say, I never knew him. Why? What's got to happen? Peter's got to be converted. That's not good for the environment of Jesus. Come on. So you got to change your converter. You've got to switch. And when you come out and your mouth begins to speak after you've been converted, then it doesn't speak those things anymore. You don't act that way anymore. Why? You've been converted. Anybody ever been converted? Oh, do you understand what has been coming to you has been cleaned out by what we call sanctification and what you speak now are the things of God and the word of God and the power of God and encouraging words. Somebody give him praise in the house. Glory, glory. If you're getting this, tell me you're getting it, okay? He says, when you, look at it, are converted, strengthen the brethren. Watch me. You get saved. You get converted. You get cleaned up. You get sanctified. You get baptized with the Holy Ghost. You come in. You sit on a pew. That's okay. But sometimes you've got to get off of it. And strengthen the brethren. The word strengthen means to make firm and to establish. People ask me all the time, why do you do what you do? I'm strengthening, strengthening the brethren. Sunday morning I'll be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. What I've heard about that church, they've changed pastors. They're having some problems. I'm going to go strengthen the brethren. I was in a church in Red Bay, Alabama. The overseer calls me in the middle of the night. He said, you're my first, second, third, fourth, fifth choice. I said, well, I guess I got to go. He said, I want you to go to this church, and it's split. I said, fine with me. What did I do for six months? I strengthened the brethren. End of the year, actually on your birthday, I went to a church in Jasper, Alabama that was without a pastor. And I strengthened the better. You know, you know what happens? Every one of these churches got a pastor now. Every one of these churches moving on for God. Why? You strengthen the brethren. It's not about me. 
It's not about who I am or what. The only thing is about me is I allow the Holy Spirit to flow through me to strengthen you, to strengthen you, to strengthen you. We've got to strengthen each other. We've got to encourage each other. We've got to pick each other up. When you fall, reach out your hand. Don't push them down. Pick them up. Say, I'm strengthening the brethren. You know what the apostle Peter could do now? He could look and say, you know what? I've been where you are. I know what it's like to be down there, so I'm coming back to give you a hand to bring you out. Hello. Y'all better pray. I'm about to reach the whole, preach the whole Bible rightly divided. Strengthen the brethren. I'm going to close with John 21. John 21. What's Peter doing? <coughs> he got converted, but he went fishing. It's like me when I used to pastor. What are you going to do? I'm going golfing. Well, you didn't get it. I'm doing a lot of this with you tonight. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Jesus showed up on the seashore. The resurrected Jesus, the one he denied, hello, and he had a fire going with fish on it. He didn't have a fishing pole. Somebody said, how'd he do it? He stood on the shore and said, fish, get up here. He said, fish, clean yourself. Well, you don't have to do that. I've had St. Peter fish, and I had to break the head off so people could eat it. It's good. Called him up there to be cooked. Then here comes the disciples. Peter says, it's the Lord. Now, wait a minute. He blew it. But he's the one that jumped out the boat. <laughs> Again, he didn't walk on water this time. He got wet, okay? And he ran to Jesus. Jesus took him aside. And he said, Peter, do you love He said, you ever wondered how that felt? Can I tell you? Everybody want to know? Get, raise your hand if you want to know. The rest of you just don't listen. I was in a church, Jacksonville, Florida. The man was an evangelist. He preached on this scripture. Preached on a pile of stinking fish. I already had a job lined up. I already was moving my family. Already everything. I had a job already lined up at my hometown, folks. I had everything. They were just waiting on me to get out of service. And while they were waiting on me to get out of service, we had that service that morning, and he gave an altar call, and I knelt in that altar. And as I knelt in that altar, he said, Do you love me? Now, now listen to me. When he asked if you love him, he's not asking you if you love him, just love him. He said, Are you do you love me enough to give up? that house you're about to buy. Do you love me enough to give up that job you're about to get? I was getting a good job. Everything was working out. I was going back to my home. My goodness, what else could a man want? Hello? He said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I said, yes. I'm here tonight simply because I said, yes. Somebody practice that. Say, yes. Come on, say it. Yes. Say, he said, the scripture says, yes and Amen. I look at it this way. The Lord says yes. We say amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Anybody say it again. Yes, Lord. He said, Peter, you're going to suffer. 
You're going to die a bad death. It's not going to be pretty. He's telling him all these things. And as Jesus begins to leave, watch this, Peter begins to follow him. And while, G- while Peter is following Jesus, he looks over here and sees John. You know what he said? Jesus, what about John? Now, I'm going to interpret this scripture my way in the Greek. Actually, what it says is Jesus said to Peter, that's none of your business. What they do is none of your business. When you forgive somebody, if they don't, that's none of your business. Come on. He said, what is that to you? If I let him live till I come back, it doesn't matter what you've got to concentrate on. Keep your eyes on me. Keep walking with me. You have been sifted. I got a job for you to do. And the job that I have for you to do, you have been converted. And now you are ready. And this same man in the book of Acts gets baptized with the Holy Ghost and preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Don't you get upset because you're sifted. He's getting you ready. If he hadn't have been sifted, he would have never stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached that powerful sermon. Did you get it tonight? Did you get it? See, sometimes we don't understand why when we don't get out of our mess. Sometimes we don't understand why our sifting takes a year and our neighbor's sifting didn't take but a day. Amen? Let me tell you something. Be careful what you do. Be careful how you react because sometimes we try to create a theology to insulate us from the pain of not getting our breakthrough. I don't know why some people get a breakthrough in a day and some people it's a year. Guess what? They still get a breakthrough. But I believe it this way. I believe if it's taken a while for you, that means that God is preparing you for something beyond your imagination. Say, beyond my imagination. Woo! He is preparing you for something that you really, at this moment, don't understand. Hmm. Okay, Lord. See, y'all wonder what I'm doing. I'm trying to listen, okay? See, the best way for me to hear the Lord is for me to shut up. There's no other way. I can't talk when he's talking because if I talk when he's talking, I don't know what he said. Like I did last night and they were talking and I heard it and I didn't hear it and said it and they laughed at me. Yeah, y'all made fun of me, I know. What is it that you're being sifted? Oh, no, there's somebody here. You have been through so much sifting, you've about said, I, I think I'll just give up on it. I, I think I, I, I just don't want to take anymore. He sent me by to tell you, this could be your last sifting. By this time tomorrow, you could be a beautiful cake sitting on somebody's mantle. I mean, not mantle, on the table, Okay. By this time tomorrow, you could be a beautiful biscuit on somebody's table because you're being sifted because he wants you to reach the point that when they bite into you, they will taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Somebody give him praise. Whoa. This is just a little different tonight, and I'm trying to figure out everything you want. Who is it that's in the middle of the sifting right now that just needs a prayer about it? Who is it that you've been shaking and shaking and shaking? Well, I'll remind you that he said, if you give, you get it good measure, pressed down, shaken. <laughs> Sometimes the shaking's not what you thought, but it's for him. It's for his purpose. Stand with me, please. Father, Mm. Wow. Here's what he's saying to me. He's saying, you've even questioned in the last few days, I don't understand why, 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 I'm, why I'm still in the middle of this, why, why I'm, I'm still being sifted. I, I don't understand what's happening. He said to tell you he is about to reveal to you what he told you he would do. It is your time for your revelation from your God. Did you hear me? It's time for him to show you the enemy's tried to distract you. The enemy's tried to tell you, ah, it's not going to happen. But I came by tonight to tell you that God is in this house by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is going to show you beginning tonight. This is it. Now listen to me. Move from where you are and move to this altar right now. Come on. You know who you are. There may be one of you. There may be ten of you. I don't know. I just know you're here. I say yes, Lord. I say yes to that is this deep that God is reaching down inside of people and transformation is taking place when you are converted strengthen the brethren reach out love help strengthen restore there are people everywhere you go everywhere you live that are hurting and he said to tell you you understand more than anybody because you've been there. You know what it's like. You, you know, you know, look at me just for a moment. As a pastor in 28 years, I know I made thousands of visits. I'd go into a hospital. I'd take them by the hand. I'd pray with them, scripture and everything. And, and I, I was compassionate until it happened to me. Then when I'd go visit them now, it's, Hey, I've been there. I know, I know what it's like to lay on a bed and look up and somebody comes in to pray for you. I know what that feels like now because I got sifted. Now I don't have compassion. I have empathy. I know how you feel. I may not have the same problem, but I know how you feel because I've been there. Glory. 
Glory, glory. Can I get some prayer partners to come and stand with these? Would you come? Would you come? Come on. I, I feel like there's more of you, and sometimes you're just a little reluctant to come. But it, it's, it's time. When, when he was converted, now I'm going to pray with you. You know that. But I want you to have an encounter with God privately right where you are. Pray, pray, pray. Begin to talk to him. If you don't have the physical ability to stand up, find yourself a pew and sit down. That's okay. It doesn't matter if you're standing, sitting, kneeling, whatever you're doing. But it's time for you to come to grips with the fact that the sifting is happening because God is preparing you for what you ask Him to do. It's your preparation time. Somebody's going to graduate tonight. Somebody's going to move on tonight. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody keep praying. Don't don't go anywhere. I'll be there. I will go. I'll say yes. I'll say yes. I say yes. Where you live? 